you have to be some form of like an optimist to not like, hey, everything's just perfect, but like, I kind of use this thing and it's, for me, it's very important, which is you have to, in some sense, believe in yourself because if you don't, no one else is going to and you can't convince anyone else to join you or work with you or build with you like if you don't believe it and it doesn't mean that every single day you believe it like there are days you doubt it and there are days that you believe and doubt it and that's totally normal but on an average in some sense you have to have that faith in yourself Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, your host and resident storyteller, and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. No Straight Path is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are digging into the human stories behind success, and my hope as always is that you leave this conversation inspired, motivated, and excited about your journey. We have another great guest today, Dalip Kasman, and I actually learned about Dalip's work through his feature in HubSpot's Spiraling Up series. It gives a glimpse of Dalip's entrepreneurial journey through excellent storytelling, and I just wanted to learn more, so I invited Dalip on the podcast, and I did learn so much. But before we get to our conversation, I do want to tell you a bit more about him. Dalip Kasman is the founder and CEO of Jeeves, an all-in-one corporate spend and expense management platform for businesses and global markets, including Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, Chile, Peru, Canada, the UK, and Europe. More than 3,000 companies worldwide trust Jeeves with their financial payment stack. Jeeves has raised $380 million to fuel its international expansion, and after its Series C, Jeeves has a $2.1 billion valuation. Prior to Jeeves, Dilip was the COO and the co-founder of Jang Slash Powerbox, and it's a battery ventures-backed email ad server product used by over 600 brands, including CNN, Disney, and The New Yorker. And Dilip started and grew the company from three to over 50 employees while maintaining profitability. Power Inbox was recognized as number two in Inc.'s top 30 list, number three on Deloitte's Fast 50 list, and number four on Crane's top 50 list. He previously worked in venture capital and graduated with honors from Stanford's Graduate School of Business. And I love this conversation. I can't wait for y'all to hear it. So let's get to it. I am so excited about Dalip's just story, everything I've learned about you from the Spiraling Up series. Your journey is just so inspiring. And so welcome to the No Straight Path podcast. Thank you for just taking time to share your story. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So I want to start with the beginning. I want to start with your childhood. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you grew up? I actually grew up in a lot of different countries and continents. My parents were both doctors, and so they lived in a lot of different places. So I spent some time in Nigeria, uh, lived in Qatar in the Middle East, and then uh, moved to Florida. And so, you know, three different continents, you kind of experience a lot of different things growing up. So it's kind of interesting that kind of I've ended up doing a company that works with people in a lot of different countries because it in some way reflects just a childhood that I had. And also, you know, for me, it was one of those things where it just brought me closer to kind of my family because that was the one kind of constant that we had going from one country to another. So, you know, I guess when you're younger, you don't really have a lot of choice in where you end up. So I thought it was great because I got to see a lot of different things, you know, when I was really young. But it did have that constant component of motion moving from one 
country, language, you know, way of kind of living to another. And these are very different countries, Nigeria, Qatar in the Middle East, and then Florida, obviously not, you know, the same. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that international perspective and experience and how you can likely bring that to your work. I'd love to know a little bit more just about your family upbringing and perhaps some of the values that your family instilled in you. You know, my parents were both doctors and they were a very kind of close, tight-knit family. I think there's a few things that I learned from my parents. So one, you know, my dad would kind of really point this out, that if you have a position of privilege, you have a position of responsibility. So like the fact that he was able to become a doctor, a lot of that was because of scholarships. He couldn't afford to go to medical school. And so, you know, you don't just get to do that and not in some way kind of give back. And so it, it isn't necessarily like charity. It's more just like where you spend your time. And then how do you leave an impact in some way? So it's interesting. My parents never really kind of, you know, were like, oh, think about like leaving an impact or a legacy. It was just more how they live their life and just kind of some of the lessons that I took away from that. I think the second thing was we, we were always a very close family. And some of these things you take for granted, you know, where you just think everybody has a close family and then you get older and grow up and you're like, oh, that was actually fairly unique, right? In the sense that you always had the safety net and that gives you the chance and the ability to take some of the risks. And so I realized, you know, how kind of lucky in some sense, privileged, whatever you want to call it, I am to have that. But it's also, you know, the last one, which I think is interesting today is how you take advantage of opportunities that you get. Everybody gets different opportunities. I call it kind of like a game of playing cards. You're not going to get the same set of cards someone else did, but you can win with your hand, just like they can win with their hand. And it's a little bit of perspective. Like, how do you see what you get, is it an advantage? I had never worked in fintech before this company. Is that a disadvantage or is it an advantage? It depends on how you look at it, right? And so that's a big thing that I think I took away from how my parents like just traveled to a lot of different places, worked in a lot of different backgrounds. It's how you see yourself. Like, do you think you have an advantage or disadvantage? And then based off of what you think, it kind of plays itself out. If you think you have a disadvantage, it's going to play out in that direction, right? And so, again, it's just the perspective side. I think it's just very important and like just kind of something I've always tried to keep with me, especially when you build a company, it's something that changes very quickly. It goes from good to bad very fast, bad to good also very fast. And so keeping that perspective, I think is very useful. Yeah, no, I love that perspective and just how your parents were living by example and how that really just rubbed off on you. And I'm also just curious about little Dilip and your just personality. What were you like? How would your family and friends describe you? Because I kind of want to connect the dots with how you are showing up in the work that you're doing today, just as a human. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think I was always very curious. I think that's a constant part of, you know, just where I am today or whatever version. Like, I don't think it's even this company. Even if I wasn't doing this, I'd be doing something else because I always have that component of like curiosity. I mean, I think I get that from my mom. She's also like the same thing. Like she tries different things. She's one of those people that's annoyingly good at a lot of things. And so, you know, you just get that personality of like trying and it's okay to try. It's okay to fail. But, you know, if you want to try it, like you should go try it. There's no like real substitute for actually trying it. Right. And so that I think was a big part of just, you know, me growing up. I have an older brother. And so he was also someone that, you know, we would kind of push each other a lot, play a lot of different things. And so I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. I never really thought about it kind of in detail. Like, I think I was one of those people that played, like, I was good at a lot of different things. And so I blended into different groups. And that became kind of a thing that evolved over time, given I was traveling to a lot of different countries because of my parents, too. So yeah, I would say the biggest thing, I was very kind of curious. I was probably a very, like, high energy 
kind of child. I read a lot. I, I <laughs> It's pretty funny. We would have these encyclopedias and I would literally get like a bowl of ice cream and pick a volume and just go, you know, read the pages of the encyclopedia. And so like, I was just curious. <laughs> wow. It wasn't like something that was interesting or not. It was just, it was different. And I was like, okay, what's, what's in this today? Right. And so I don't know, for me, I think that's the biggest thing. Like even this company, my company before this, like that curiosity, once you start losing that, then it becomes tedious and everything is like a little bit of a, you know, like a pain. And there will be days like that. Like there are days even, you know, last week, this week, where I'm like, this is a lot of work, but you have to keep that curiosity component. And for me, I think a little bit of that is inherent. Like you either see everything and you're like, why? Or you kind of like the box and both are fine. It's just is a different way of like how you look at it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's wonderful. And I always ask that question. So thank you for answering it. Just because I don't think a lot of us think about it. And I notice that people who are doing work that's aligned with their purpose and their passions and their interests, they tend to be following whatever they were doing as a child. Their, their childhood is kind of showing yeah. up in some way personality-wise. So the fact that you were reading the encyclopedia for fun to learn... <laughs> It, I mean, back then in the Middle East, we had one TV channel and it would be, it would literally turn on at 2 p.m. and turn off at like 8. So like there wasn't, you know, there wasn't much to do. And at that point, you're like, all right, I'll, I'll read an encyclopedia. So Yeah, I love that. And yeah, so I'd love to know more about just how that curiosity has inspired this entrepreneurial journey that you're on. Can you tell us about your entrepreneurial journey thus far? You know, how did you start Jeeves? Yeah. So before this, I had started another company that operated in more than one country. So we were based in the U.S. and we had operations in Israel. And one of the things that I had seen fairly consistently that was that it would take us, you know, 30 to 45 days after the month closed to be able to close our books and to get an idea of where our cash is. And so the biggest realization for me was if you look at where we are today and where we're going to be in five years and 10 years, all the companies that today operate in one country, they are going to have to, you know, be expanding outside the US or more than one country as an operational base. So basically, companies are going global, right, in some sense. And then banking itself is very country and currency specific. And so, again, it would be a little bit disingenuous to be like, oh, I had this like grand vision that we're kind of building towards. I think I had sensed something there, but there, this is a real problem. I don't really know how to fix this. And part of not being in banking or fintech was I was like, why not just do this in 20 countries? Because that way you can solve it from day one. And then now I'm doing it. I'm like, this is a lot of work. And there's a, you know many reasons why people haven't done this at the scale before. right? And so for me, it's something that I'd experienced firsthand. And I think a lot of times when you build companies, whatever it is that you're passionate about, it has to be something that strikes a chord. And then you yourself have seen the problem and want to figure out how to fix it, right? And so for us, the goal from day one was how do you build a global business bank? And then how do you do that at scale? So 10 countries, 20. Today we operate in 22. And there's a lot of things that we're learning and figuring out for the first time because most companies don't build banking infrastructure across 10, 20 countries, right? And so, again, just seeing it from a different perspective, I think has been a huge advantage of like, why not build this in a modular way, why not build this in a way where it's almost like a jigsaw and each piece fits into itself as opposed to just building one stack in one country. I, I can go into it in more detail, but like basically the concept was something I had seen in my last company as a pain point. And then I think having a different perspective of like, why not do this at scale and global from day one has been a big part of like getting us to you know where it is today. I love that. And so it sounds like you hinted at it. Is it the fact that you weren't in fintech that has provided a helpful perspective that's maybe created more ingenuity or what do you think? 
Yeah, so I think you just see things from a different perspective. Like fintech, for instance, has a lot of regulations and rightfully so because you're dealing with currencies, you're dealing with people's money. And I think, you know, that has its own bar. But one of the things that I had started seeing is a lot of different countries internationally, Mexico, Brazil, etc., were starting to open up some of their regulation, particularly on the banking side. And so there was this window that was not super large, but it's there at that point. And so a big part for me of starting something and, you know, getting it off the ground is moving very quickly because your biggest advantage when you're small is your speed. Like it's really, that's the one thing you can do that a company that's 2,000 people, 3,000 people can't do. In fact, now that we're 200 people, it's slower because now you have 200 people and like everything has to go up and come down, right? And so I think people underestimate the value you have in the beginning to move very quickly. And me not coming from a banking background or a fintech background, I was able to look at this really from like first principles, almost of like, if your end goal is to build a bank in different countries, what are the building blocks? Okay, what goes into each building block? Okay, why can't they connect with each other versus having a preconceived notion of like, well, if I have to do this, it's going to take 10 years and like, I'm not even going to try. And, you know, so in some sense, not knowing was a little bit of an advantage, especially for a space like fintech that is very complex and archaic in some sense. And each country and currency is different from the other one. So it is an advantage. And for me, this goes back to the earlier point of perspective, right? How do you kind of look at the fact that you are new or you're an outsider, right? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And I always think that's an advantage because I can look at it in a different way that someone else can. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. And you had this concept or you've talked about this concept called organized chaos, which I thought was really interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, like I think for a startup and honestly, not just startup, like companies that are, have been functioning even for five, six, seven years, if you want to move quickly and you want to change things, you will be in some form of a state of chaos. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like people think of chaos as like everything's on fire and everything is, you know, like just breaking up and breaking around you. But I think chaos also indicates that the status quo is changing to some extent. And so it's a combination of chaos, but in an organized fashion. And doesn't organized doesn't mean everything is single structured. Day to day, there can still be chaos, but you know what direction you're moving in and you have markers, indicators that show you're moving in that direction. So you have to be very comfortable in the chaos, because if you're not, there's no way you can really organize it. But I think people that succeed, especially trying to do something that is complex and, you know, touches multiple points, you have to be okay with a level of like chaos. I call it like almost like juggling balls. You're not going to be juggling and catching all the balls. It's like right now, these are the two balls and there are three in the air. And then I can throw two more and catch these instead. So it is a form of chaos, but it's organized, right? And that structure is where I think you can really shine especially if you have a comfort level with chaos. And I think if you don't have a comfort level of chaos, it's very, very hard to do a startup or even like start something from new because in some sense you are creating something and creation is a chaos event. Like you're creating, it's not there before, like you're making something, right? And that itself is a form of like organizing chaos. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's great advice when I talk to listeners a lot. We have conversations about just the startup world and being an entrepreneur. You've got to be comfortable with that uncertainty is what we often talk about. But chaos is another thing that you have to be comfortable with. And so I love that you're leaning into the chaos, into the organized chaos. And I am just curious about what lights you up about this work, because in order to take on such a big feat, you got to be committed to this. Tell us your why. Yeah, for me... There's a few things that go into that, right? One, I think the way I look at it, you know, your time 
is limited, right? Like however you slice it, you only have so many days and you only have so many years and you know, no one's getting more or less. Like it's, it's limited. It's not infinite. It's not here forever. And for me personally, I like to make it as big of an outcome as possible. An outcome meaning like if your impact is only limited to, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years, whatever the number is, like that's not for me that long of a period of time. So it's the question is like, what can you do in that period of time that's leaving impact? And I might do this and it might fail, but at least I tried something that was big and like could make an impact, right? And I think that is the part that for me, I find very appealing. I'm going to work hard and that's just who I am. Like if it's, you know, selling tables or like whatever version of that, I'm going to be working hard. So I'd like to work hard on something that might be very, very difficult to do independent of like whether I can actually do it or not. And I have this kind of concept of like, you can't fall in love with the outcome. You have to enjoy the process. You have to enjoy the process of building because otherwise you're going to burn out and like people that kind of just start in some sense and outcomes are good. I want an outcome. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I want an outcome here and that's my goal. But that can't be the only thing driving you because when it's, you know, dark and you have to still wake up and you have to still build and no one else is there, the outcome's not what gets you going. It's like the process. It's why do you like the creation? Why do you like the building? Right. And so for me, like there are two components. One is almost like your time is limited. Like, what are you doing with it? You've been given these opportunities, like, you know, like you mentioned, like I went to Stanford as well. A lot of people don't get to do that. Like I did. What am I doing with that? Right. So for me, that's a big part of like that comes into this tied into like some of my upbringing and my dad you know, like he had to get a scholarship to become a doctor and that changed all our lives. Right. And so what am I doing with that opportunity that I have that a lot of people would love to get and never got. Right. So like that is a big part of this. And then I think the second one is just your, what are you working on that can have that impact? And impact is different. Like this is my impact. Doesn't mean it has to be your impact. Doesn't mean it has to be someone else's impact. This is just what it is for me. Right. And doesn't mean everybody else has to go start a bank. Right. And I think people get confused on that as well, which is like, yeah, that's what for me impact is. But you might have a different talent and your impact looks very different and you can be happy with that, right? And so it's just finding that match between like what it is that you feel inspired to do and like what is that impact for you? And it could be big, it could be small. Big and small is all relative. Like there's no real like structured way of what is big and small. It's just big for me. Yeah, no, so many gems there. The first thing that I love just was the trusting the process. I often say trusting the journey and really enjoying it or trying to enjoy it, but really like enjoying what you're doing and the vision that you have as opposed to just the outcome. Because I've had experiences where I've, you know, reached these really big goals, but getting there was not very fun. (laughs) And I didn't really enjoy the process. And so there was a level of emptiness at the end of the road there. But when you're actually working in your purpose, there's a difference. So I love that you said that. And the other thing that you pointed out was just like, this is my journey. It doesn't need to be everyone else's. Sometimes people can be an evangelist for their specific process and being a founder. And, you know, everybody's personality is different. We have all these idiosyncratic things about us. We all shine in different places. And so I just, I think that's a great attitude to have. It's really finding your, you know, fit and match. And, you know, people like there's many different versions of this. Right. And so, yeah, I completely agree. I don't think it's one specific thing that everybody has to be doing at the same velocity and pace. That's what makes life interesting in some sense. Yeah, probably is based on your background, like being (laughs) someone who's been to so many different countries, lived in so many different places, had so many different experiences with different people. You have an understanding of how people are different, how they operate differently. So and probably you're not very I don't want to presume, but probably not very judgmental. Hopefully, but... Yeah. (laughs) 
there's times when it's needed and times when it isn't. But I do think just like the more you see things, the more you realize like everybody's kind of the same. Like everybody has hopes. Everybody wants to achieve something, whatever that thing is for them. Like we're not all that different. And honestly, that's a big part of like what we're trying to do, which is like every single entrepreneur in every country that we operate in, they want the same thing. They want to be able to build a company. They want to be able to put food on the table. It's not that different in Mexico versus Brazil versus Colombia versus Europe. It's kind of the same box, right? So I don't know. It's good when, for me at least, to have that perspective because you find commonalities, which, you know, when you're building a company in like 20 countries is good to have. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of building a company in 20 countries, can you talk to us about a pain point and perhaps a lesson learned? From the company building? From the company building, yeah. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> like I'm trying to think through the right like sequence. I think the biggest thing for me is, and this is hard to do, but it's like realizing where do you spend your limited resources, right? I think when you're a company starting, you have limited resources. There's a lot to do. And I think a lot of times the hardest thing is figuring out where you spend your time and your limited resources. So like just giving an example in the beginning, like do you prioritize you know, finding product market fit? Do you prioritize making the product even better? Do you prioritize expansion? That takes a lot of resources, right? And there's, again, it's all a little bit in hindsight because you look back and say that was the right call or it wasn't the right call. But when you're doing it, you don't really know to some extent and you kind of have to trust your gut and make that decision. And I think I was reading this from, I think it might've been Jeff Bezos, but he had this thing about a lot of times you have to make decisions with 60, 70% of information. And if you're waiting for 90%, you're probably going to be too late. And I really kind of, you know, just naturally subscribe to that. You have to make, I play poker. So it's a little bit of like, you have to do some form of a calculation of like the expected value. You're not going to know all the variables and you have to make a decision. And so sometimes those are good. Sometimes those are not great. And, you know, just in terms of like trade-offs, if I look at like the early days of Jeeves, you know, we expanded to different countries, we launched different products, and now we are building deeper in some of the existing products that we have versus expanding more, right? So this year, we're not doing any expansions. We're not adding any new countries. We're saying, hey, on the countries we have, we're actually going to go deeper in those regions, right? And so that's a decision that, you know, we could have made last year, would have made our life easier today. But last year, the call was really to do more expansion versus like going deep in each region. So it's a little bit of that trade-off of like resource versus time. And you don't know until you make the decision and kind of look back over time, whether it's the right call or not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Not advice, but like a great story to share with everyone and for business owners to really think about that. And I am curious about where you are now. So I listened to, or I watched the Spiraling Up series and I suggest that all the listeners go and see it because it is very inspiring. And it's been, I think it was in the fall of 2022, I believe. Last fall. It was great doing it. It was actually something I wasn't sure I wanted to do because, you know, we were just like deep into building and I'm like, is this kind of, should we put the time and the cycle into it? But the team was amazing setting it up and they asked like really good questions to kind of connect the dots. So it it seemed like a seamless process. I'm really glad we did this. It was helpful for me too sometimes to articulate like, why is this something that's important for you and why are you trying to do this? Right. And so I'm I'm really glad I got to do that. Uh, And the team was fantastic to kind of work with. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious about what has changed since then. You know, so a few things. So one, I think the market itself has gotten tighter. I think everyone's kind of seeing the outlines of like a recession in some sense. So interest rates have gone up. For us as a business, what it has changed is really the plan of multiple expansion. So instead of going 
more thinner, we're going to go kind of deeper in the regions that we cover, right? And so today, our core markets are Latin America, the first one, which is kind of Spanish-speaking Latin, so Mexico, Colombia. Second one is North America, so that's Canada, US. Third one's EU, UK, and then we just added Brazil. And so within those markets, we're going to be going deeper and adding more payment-type products. So originally, our products were more credit-oriented, particularly around corporate cards and capital lines. And so in addition to that, we're going to be adding payment rails. So really, the idea is if you're a business today and you're in Mexico, for instance, you need to have multiple vendors just to close your books at the end of the month. So you need someone for corporate cards, you need someone for payment rails, you need someone for capital. And if you're in Mexico and you're growing, you're going to end up in Colombia or Brazil. And so there you need another three vendors with different currencies, Colombian pesos versus Mexican pesos, for instance. And so instead of then having six or seven different providers in each country, you can just come to Jeeves and we combine all of that for you in one stack. And so the big thing this year is adding payment rails on top of the corporate card as well as a capital stack. And so the idea is that it's almost like a global bill payment system. You want to pay someone in any country, you can pay that on Jeeves. So if you're in Mexico, you need to pay a vendor in the US, you can use Jeeves and pay them directly, get an invoice for that and so on. So really kind of going deeper into the stack versus expanding to more countries, which was probably a little bit of a change from you know late last year, right? So structurally, not a lot has changed because the market even last year was kind of in the same point of interest rates going up. I think we're just doubling down more on kind of the payment side of it outside of just the corporate card and capital rails. Very great. Very great. And has anything changed for you personally? I mean, structurally, I'm still, you know, traveling a lot still here in Miami. I think the company itself has now touched about 200 people. So it does take up a lot, you know, of my time. So yeah, it's funny, like I think of it in almost like different stages of life, like this is a building stage. And doesn't mean you're going to be building for 20 years. But this cycle is a lot about building, right, and takes up a lot. And I think that's something people that are thinking about starting something should also think about, which is like, how much energy can you give into this? And I think to be successful, at least for me, it takes up a lot of time. It takes up a lot of energy. It takes up a lot of who you are, right? And so you should have that conversation with yourself of like, is that a level and effort that you want to do right now? And the answer could be no. And that's totally fine. Like it's, I see it really in like waves and stages and phases, right? And it doesn't mean you're always going to be doing this, but if you're doing it, then you should put everything you have into it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that is a great perspective. Just even, and I'm not even on the level of what you're doing at all, but just building out my podcast was... <laughs> I mean, building is hard. I have a lot, you know, like I think I've I had this in the spring, but I, I respect builders a lot because it's hard to build. It's, it doesn't matter what you're building. It's still, you know, you've got to do it. And it's always sounds easier than actually going and doing it. That's why I always like, it's funny when people are like, oh, you know, you could do this or this. It's like, go do it. No one's stopping you. <laughs> like, you know, like go build. And so, yeah. I'm always curious about people who are trying to accomplish really big things in this world who are doing it and how they are feeling internally. And I want to talk to you about that. Do you like who you are internally, who you're becoming on this journey? Do you have any spiritual practice, like the personal yeah. the leap? I actually don't know the full answer to that. I mean, I definitely you know, would consider myself... I guess, religious, but it's, you know, do I like him? I hope I do. Like, otherwise it's hard, like on a day-to-day -day basis, but it's different every day. Like, I, I don't think there's a consistent kind of answer, right? Like some days are really exhausting and it takes a lot out of you. And then some days you're like, oh, and this is literally couldn't be the same day because you're like, oh, someone's using this thing. This is so cool. And then it's also like these things, you know, that really just completely drain you. Right. And so 
I don't actually know fully the answer to that question. I, by nature, I think a little bit of like a glass half full kind of person. I think you have to be some form of like an optimist to not like, hey, everything's just perfect. But like, I kind of use this thing and it's for me is very important, which is you have to, in some sense, believe in yourself because if you don't, no one else is going to and you can't convince anyone else to join you or work with you or build with you like if you don't believe it and it doesn't mean that every single day you believe it like there are days you doubt it and there are days that you believe and doubt it and that's totally normal but on an average in some sense you have to have that faith in yourself and again for me it's seasonal like there's some seasons when I'm like I don't want to build I just want to like not do anything for the next few years and that's fine but now in this cycle I do, you know, have that faith of what we're trying to build here. And it is helpful hearing from people on the other side of that, like even, you know, people that we've supported with the products, like how they've been able to expand their business, how they've been able to kind of build in some sense. Like, so for me, it keeps coming back to that, which is like, what is the level of impact? And in this impact, in this job, I get to touch, you know, thousands of businesses in 10, 20 countries. And it's not easy. It is very hard and it takes a lot out of you. But that impact is something that for me has a lot of value and that keeps kind of driving me at some sense. So yeah, I don't have a full answer to that. I like the journey that I'm on in some sense of like just learning more about kind of what I'm building, but there are definitely days that I'm like, this is a lot. And then there are some <laughs> days I'm like, this is awesome. So yeah, no, no, that's very helpful. I think that when you are reconnecting with your why and you're seeing the impact that you're making, it is helpful on those hard days, just even for the podcast and someone reaches out after I've been editing for hours and says this yeah. part of the story really helps me. Thank you so much. It's like, thanks. Like I really needed that. So I completely understand. I appreciate you sharing that. And I wanted to know if you have any advice for people who are going down a non-traditional career path. I think two things. So one, if you want to do something, I think you should really do it, right? Like, because there's no other way to know if that is something you want to do or not. And I think it's, better to do it and fail at it than to not do it and think and have that in the back of your head of like, oh, what if I had done it? Like, what would it have turned out? And nothing is guaranteed, like success or failure, right? Then you just don't know until you kind of do it. I think the thing people don't realize sometimes is like when you think through some things, you try to project out all the sequences and everything that can go right and wrong. But a lot of times you don't have that information until you actually take the first step. And like step three is different because you took step one versus when you were at step zero, step three looked very differently. So you can't really know the outcome in some sense until you take the first, second, and third step. So even if it's non-traditional, I think right now, especially like the boxes of traditional and non-traditional are fairly overlapping in different ways. So I would be strongly encouraging people that want to do it because in some sense, you're already thinking about it. And so it's better to do it and know than to not know at all. But then the second part I'd push is why do you want to do it? Like that why should be something that hopefully, again, is inherently motivating and not extrinsically motivating because that I've seen time and time again, you know, is kind of the strongest indicator of like you making it in some sense and making it isn't like just like a success externally, just making it as like something you're proud of. Like at the end of the day, it's like you against you, right? And so you have to know like why you're doing this and like, why is it that tomorrow will be better or worse than today? Like, what is that motivation for you? So that's the one thing I would push. I mean, even when I started Jeeves, I probably spent months like thinking through different ideas and like seeing if they have legs, like trying to beat them down, see if it still is standing. And I think a lot of people get excited once and then kind of just jump through those loops without doing the cycle of like seeing if it has legs. 
And there are different paths again, but I think it's valuable to at least push yourself to be like, hey, how can this go wrong? It's going wrong. Are you still excited about this? And like, you might be no, and like, that saves you a lot of time. Or you might be like, yeah, I still like it because there's one thing still inspires me and it's something I'm excited about. Awesome. You should go do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Great advice. Another one, another gym. So I'd love to know about the best career advice that you've ever received. I think one thing that I've always aligned with, and this is more something I've seen, especially doing this a second time. So this is my second startup. It's, and I keep coming back to this over and over again. Like it's never as good as it seems on the outside. And it's never as bad as you think it is on the inside. Cause you see everything and you see all the warts and you see all the pluses and negative and no one else does. And so everyone sees one version of that. And so it's always good for me to keep that perspective. You know, it's never as bad as you think it is. It's never as good as everyone on the outside thinks it is. The truth is somewhere in between. And I use this over and over again when we're launching products, launching regions, something fails, people getting like, you know, leaving the company, whatever version of that, like you see everything and every single thing looks, you know, because it's it's adding on itself. And so you see all the warts. And so it's good to have that perspective. I've come back to that often. And then I think the second thing is just, you know, the flip side of like your time is limited is that you like it's incremental in some sense, like today is not just today, it's today building on yesterday and tomorrow is building on today. So like focus just on taking that step versus just like ending in that goal. And this is one thing I think a lot of people that start companies a lot of times forget, which is like, oh, how do I build this thing that, you know, like it's going to last for 10 years and it should be like, how do I build something that'll last till next year? Because nobody knows if we're actually going to get till 10 years, right? And so it's a combination of like almost two opposite sides of the same advice, which is you want to build something that leaves a legacy has an impact, et cetera, but like focus on removing all the variables except for the ones that matter. And the ones that matter will change over time, but the more focus you have, the more higher chance of success you do, whatever version of success is for you, because it reduces just your distractions and you can only do so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great career advice. I've just loved this conversation. I've learned so much. Do you have any final thoughts? I think just going back to what I said earlier, people that are thinking about starting something or doing something, like push yourself for why. And if you get a good answer on why, like just do it. It might fail. Uh, it might not, but at least you know. And a lot of times my first company failed. And then the second one was better. And then third one, I think is even better, but who knows, right? This might also fail. Like I don't know the answer to that, but like failing isn't necessarily a bad thing. You learn a lot from failing that one way or the other, you have to pay the price. Whether you succeed or fail, you have to get in the arena and actually do it. And there's no way to escape that part, right? So like the failing and succeeding isn't what you should be focusing on. It should be, is this something I would enjoy doing even if it failed two years from now? And you learn so much that the second time you do it, third time you do it, you're just much, much better. I'm learning so much every day, but even now I'm much better than my last company because I've seen so many things that you connect the dots much faster, right? And so that's the part you should be solving for in some sense versus the outcome. It's like your time and your learning, that is limited and that doesn't come back, right? And your money making opportunities, those things you get multiple shots at it, right? And so the time and the learning is what you should be, for me at least, what you should be solving for because those things don't, in some sense, kind of come back with the same velocity. Well, thank you so much. This is wonderful. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share the podcast with friends and family. And my hope is that these stories help you navigate your No Straight Path journey. If this content is adding value to your life, and I hope it is, please take a few minutes out of your day to rate the show and write a review. 
You can click the link in the show notes to write a review. It helps other listeners find the show. And I just really appreciate it. Have a lovely week, embrace the journey, and remember, you're not alone.